You're listening to the 186th Semi-Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on KSL-FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. From the Conference Center at Temple Square in Salt Lake City, this is the Saturday morning session of the 186th Semi-Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Speakers are selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music for this session is provided by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Members and officers of the church gather from all areas of the world to receive counsel and instruction from their church leaders. This broadcast is furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. President Henry B. Eyring, First Counselor in the First Presidency of the Church, will conduct this session. Brothers and sisters, we welcome you to the Saturday morning session of the 186th Semiannual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we extend a warm welcome to members and friends participating in the conference throughout the world, wherever you may be. President Thomas S. Monson, who presides at the conference, has asked that I conduct this session. The music for this session will be by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, under the direction of Mac Wilberg and Ryan Murphy, with Andrew Unsworth and Clay Christiansen at the organ. The choir opened this meeting with Sweet is the Work, and now we'll sing with songs of praise. The invocation will then be offered by Sister Joy D. Jones, who was sustained last April as the primary general president.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the blessing of gathering across the world for this general conference. We thank Thee for the gift of Thy Son, our Savior, and for His atoning sacrifice. We thank Thee for our living prophet and apostles, and we pray that Thou wilt bless them. And please bless President Monson to feel of our love, our trust, and our support. We pray for those who will participate in this session that Thou wilt bless them with Thy Spirit. We ask Thee to bless each of us that we will feel and that we will be taught through the gift of the Holy Ghost. We express our love and our devotion to Thee, and we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We will now be pleased to hear from President Dieter F. Uchtdorf, Second Counselor in the First Presidency. After his remarks, the choir will sing, We Thank Thee, O God, for a Prophet. We will then hear from Elder Robert D. Hales of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He will be followed by Sister Carol F. McConkie, First Counselor in the Young Women General Presidency. How blessed we are to assemble again in this worldwide conference under the direction and leadership of our dear Prophet and President Thomas Monson. President, we love you and we sustain you with all our heart. During my professional life as a pilot, I relied greatly on the precision and reliability of computer systems, but rarely had to work my own personal computer. In my office work as an executive, I had assistants and secretaries who kindly helped me with the tasks. All this changed in 1994 when I was called as a general authority. My calling consisted of many wonderful opportunities to minister, but it also included a great deal of church office work, more than I ever thought possible. To my shock, the main tool to stay on top of my work was a personal computer. For the first time in my life, I had to delve into this strange, mystifying, incomprehensible world. From the start, the computer and I were not on the friendliest of terms. <laughs> Able tech people tried to teach me how to use the computer. They literally stood behind me, reaching over my shoulder, their fingers moving quickly and tapping a percussive symphony against the keyboard. See, they would say proudly, that's how you do it. <laughs> I did not see. It was a rocky transition. My learning curve was more like a brick wall. It took a great deal of time, repetition, patience, no small amount of hope and faith, lots of reinsurance from my wife, and many liters of a diet soda that shall remain nameless. <laughs> now, 22 years later, 
I'm surrounded by computer technology. I have an email address, a Twitter account, and a Facebook page. I own a smartphone, a tablet, a laptop, and a digital camera. And while my tech skills may not quite measure up to those of a typical seven-year-old, for, <laughs> for a septuagenarian, I do all right. But I have noticed something interesting. The more adept I get technology, the more I take it for granted. For a large part of human history, communication happened at the speed of a horse. Sending a message and getting a reply could take days or even months. Today our messages travel thousands of miles into the sky or thousands of meters beneath the oceans to reach someone on the other side of the world. And if there is a delay or even of a few seconds, we get frustrated and impatient. It seems to be human nature. As we become more familiar with something, even something miraculous and awe-inspiring, we lose our sense of awe and treat it as commonplace. Taking for granted our modern technologies and conveniences may be a relatively small matter, but sadly, we sometimes take a similar attitude toward the eternal and soul-expanding doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the Church of Jesus Christ, we have been given so much. We are surrounded by such an astonishing wealth of light and truth that I wonder if we truly appreciate what we have. Think of those early disciples who walked and talked with the Savior during his earthly ministry. Imagine the thanksgiving and reverence that must have flooded their hearts and filled their minds when they saw him risen from the tomb, when they felt the wounds in his hands, their lives would never be the same. Think of the early saints of this dispensation who knew the prophet Joseph and heard him preach the restored gospel. Imagine how they must have felt to know that the veil between heaven and earth has parted again, shedding light and knowledge upon the world from our celestial home above. But most of all, think of yourself. Think of how you felt when for the first time you believed and understood that you are truly a child of God. That Jesus Christ willingly suffered for your sins so that you may be clean again. That priesthood power is real and can bind you to your loved ones for a time and for all eternity. That there is a living prophet on the earth today. Isn't that wonderful and amazing? Considering all of this, how could it ever be possible that we of all people would not be excited about attending our church worship services 
or get tired of reading the Holy Scriptures. I suppose this could only be possible if our hearts were past feeling to experience gratitude and awe for the sacred and sublime gifts God has granted us. Life-changing truth are before our eyes, at our fingertips. But sometimes we sleepwalk on the path of discipleship. Too often we let ourselves be distracted by the imperfections of our fellow members instead of following the example of our Master. We tread a path covered with diamonds, but we can scarcely distinguish them from ordinary pebbles. When I was a young man, my friends would ask me about my religion. Often I would start to explain the differences, like the word of wisdom. Other times I would emphasize the similarities with other Christian religions. None of this would impress them very much. But when I talked about the great plan of happiness our Father in Heaven has for us as His children, I had their attention. I remember trying to draw the plan of salvation on a blackboard in a classroom of our chapel in, in Frankfurt, Germany. I made circles that represented premortal life, mortality, and the return to our heavenly parents after this life. As a teenager, how I love to share this exciting message. When I explained these principles in my own simple words, my heart would overflow with gratitude for God who loves His children and the Savior who redeemed all of us from death and hell. I was so proud of this message of love, joy, and hope. Some of my friends would say that this message felt familiar, even though such things were never taught in their religious upbringing. It was as if they had always known these things to be true, as if I was simply casting light on something that was always and deeply rooted in their hearts. I believe every human being carries in his or her heart some form of fundamental questions regarding life itself. Where did I come from? Why am I here? What will happen after I die? These kinds of questions have been asked by mortals since the dawn of time. Philosophers, scholars, and pundits have spent their lives and fortunes for answers. I am grateful that the restored gospel of Jesus Christ has answers to the most complex questions in life. These answers are taught in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They are true. They are plain. They are straightforward and easy to understand. They are inspired, and we teach them to our three-year-olds in the Sunbeams class. Brothers and sisters, we are 
eternal beings, without beginning and without end. We have always existed. We are the literal spirit children of divine, immortal, and omnipotent heavenly parents. We come from the heavenly courts of the Lord our God. We are of the royal house of Elohim, the Most High God. We walked with him in our pre-mortal life. We heard him speak, witnessed his majesty, learned his ways. Isn't that amazing? You and I participated in a grand council where our beloved Father presented his plan for us that we would come to earth, receive mortal bodies, learn to choose between good and evil, and progress in ways that would not otherwise be possible. When we passed through the veil and entered this mortal life, we knew that we would no longer remember the life before. There would be opposition and adversity and temptation, but we also knew that gaining in a physical body was a paramount and of paramount importance for us. Oh, how we hoped that we would quickly learn to make the correct choices, withstand the temptations of Satan, and eventually return to our beloved parents in heaven. We knew we would sin and make mistakes, perhaps even serious ones. But we also knew that our Savior Jesus Christ had pledged to come to earth, live a sinless life, and voluntarily lay down his life in an eternal sacrifice. We knew that if we gave our heart to him, trusted him, and strived with all the energy of our soul to walk in the path of discipleship, we could be washed clean and once again enter the presence of our beloved Father in heaven. So, with faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you and I, accepted by our free will, Heavenly Father's plan. That is why we are here on this beautiful planet Earth. Because God offered us the opportunity and we chose to accept it. Our mortal life, however, is only temporary and will end with the death of our physical body. But the essence of who you and I are will not be destroyed. Our spirits will continue living and await the resurrection, a free gift to all by our loving Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And at the resurrection, our spirits and bodies will be reunited, free from pain and physical imperfections. After the resurrection, there will be a day of judgment. While all will eventually be saved and inherit a kingdom of glory, those who trust in God and seek to follow his laws and ordinances will inherit lives and the eternities that are unimaginable in glory and overwhelming in majesty. That day of judgment will be a day of mercy and love, a day when broken hearts are healed, when tears 
of grief are replaced with tears of gratitude when all will be made right. Yes, there will be deep sorrow because of sin. Yes, there will be regrets and even anguish because of our mistakes, our foolishness, and our stubbornness that caused us to miss opportunities for a much greater future. But I have confidence that we will not only be satisfied with the judgment of God, we will be astonished and overwhelmed by His infinite grace, mercy, generosity, and love for us, His children. If our desires and works have been good, if we have faith in a living God, then we can look forward to what Moroni called the pleasing bar of the great Jehovah, the eternal judge. My beloved brothers and sisters, my dear friends, does it not fill our hearts and minds with wonder and awe to contemplate the great plan of happiness our Heavenly Father has prepared for us? Does it not fill us with unspeakable joy to know of the glorious future that is prepared for all who wait upon the Lord? If you have never felt such wonder and joy, I invite you to seek, study, and ponder the simple yet profound truths of the restored gospel. Let the solemnities of eternity rest upon your minds. Let them bear testimony unto you of the divine plan of salvation. If you have felt these things before, I ask you today, can you feel so now? Recently I had the opportunity to travel to Belfast, Ireland. While there I noticed the Belfast coat of arms, which includes the motto, Pro tanto quid retribuamus, or what shall we give in return for so much? I invite each of us to consider this question. What shall we give in return for the flood of light and truth God has poured out upon us? Our beloved Father simply asks that we live by the truth we have received and that we follow the path He has provided. Therefore, let us take courage and trust in the guidance of the Spirit. Let us, in word and in deed, share with our fellow men the amazing and an awe-inspiring message of God's plan of happiness. May our motive be our love for God and for His children, for they are our brothers and sisters. This is the beginning of what we can do in return for so much. Someday, every knee, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that God's ways are just and His plan is perfect. For you and me, let that day be 
today. Let us proclaim with Jacob of old, Oh, how great the plan of our God. Of this I testify in deep gratitude to our Heavenly Father. As I leave you my blessing, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Nobel laureate 
Elie Weissel, was in the hospital recovering from open-heart surgery when he was visited by his five-year-old grandson. As the little boy looked into his grandfather's eyes, he saw his pain. Grandpa, he asked, if I loved you more, would you hurt less? Today I ask a similar question of each of us. If we love the Savior more, will we suffer less? When the Savior called his disciples to follow him, they were living the law of Moses, including seeking an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But the Savior came to fulfill that law with his atonement. He taught a new doctrine. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. The disciples were taught to turn from the ways of the natural man to the loving and caring ways of the Savior by replacing contention with forgiveness, kindness, and compassion. The new commandment to love one another was not always easy to keep when the disciples worried about associating with sinners and certain classes of people the Savior patiently taught, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Or as the Book of Mormon prophet explained, when you're in the service of your fellow beings, you're only in the service of your God. As the Savior's Latter-day disciples, we come unto him by loving and serving God's children. As we do, we may not be able to avoid tribulation, affliction, and suffering in the flesh, but we will suffer less spiritually. Even in our trials, we can experience joy and peace. Our Christian love and service naturally begins in the home. Parents, you are called to be loving teachers and missionaries to your children and youth. They are your investigators. You bear the responsibility to help them become converted. In truth, all of us are seeking to be converted, which means being filled with our Savior's love. As followers of Jesus Christ, His love motivates us to support each other on our moral journey. We cannot do it alone. You have heard me share the Quaker proverb before, Thee lift me, and I'll lift thee, and we'll ascend together eternally. As disciples, we begin to do this when we are baptized, showing our willingness to bear one another's burdens, that they may be light. Teaching one another the doctrine of the kingdom is a way to love and serve each other. Parents and grandparents, we tend to bemoan the state of the world, that schools are not teaching moral character, 
but there is much we can do. We can take advantage of the teaching moments in our own families. That means now. Don't let them slip by. When an opportunity comes to share your thoughts about the gospel and the lessons of life, stop everything, sit down, and talk with your children and grandchildren. We should not worry that we are not professionally trained gospel teachers. No training class or manual is as helpful as personally studying our scriptures, praying, pondering, and seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will lead you along, I promise you. The calling to be a parent includes the gift to teach in the ways that are right for you and for your children. Remember, God's power to influence righteously is His love. We love Him because He first loved us. Youth, you are some of the most effective gospel teachers. You come to church to learn so you can go home and teach and serve your family, neighbors, and friends. Don't be afraid. Have faith to testify of what you know to be true. Think how full-time missionaries grow because they are faithfully living a consecrated life, using their time and talents and bearing testimony to serve and bless others. As you share your testimony of the gospel, your faith will grow and your confidence will increase. Some of our most impactful Christian service is given by holding family scripture study, family prayer, and family council meetings. For more than a hundred years, church leaders have called us to set aside uninterrupted time each week. But many of us are still missing the blessing. Family home evening is not a lecture from mom and dad. It is a family time to share simple spiritual concepts and experiences to help our children learn to care and share. Have fun together. Bear testimony together and grow and progress together. By holding family home evening every week, our love for one another will grow stronger and we will suffer less. Let us remember, the most important work we do in our families is through the power of the Holy Ghost. Whenever we raise our voices in anger, the Spirit leaves our companionships and families. When we speak in love, the Spirit can be with us. Let us remember that our children and grandchildren measure our love by how much devoted time we give them. Above all, don't lose patience and don't give up. The scriptures tell us that when some of the Heavenly Father's spirit children chose not to follow his plan, the heavens wept. Some parents who have loved and taught their children also weep when their grown children choose not to follow the Lord's plan. What can parents do? We cannot pray away 
another's agency. Remember the father of the prodigal son who patiently waited for his son to come to himself all the while watching for him. And yet when he was far away, great way off, he ran to him. We can pray for guidance about when to speak, what to say, and yes, on some occasions when to be still. Remember, our children and family members already chose to follow the Savior in this in their premortal realm. Sometimes it is only by their own life's experiences that those sacred feelings are awakened again. Ultimately, the choice to love and follow the Lord has to be their own. There is another special way disciples show their love for the Savior. Today I pay tribute to all who serve the Lord as caregivers. How the Lord loves you. In your quiet, unheralded service, you are following Him who promised. Thy Father, who seeketh in secret Himself, shall reward thee openly. I think of my neighbor, whose wife was afflicted with Alzheimer's disease. Every Sunday, he would help her dress for church meetings comb her hair, apply her makeup, even put on her earrings. In rendering this service, he was an example to every man and woman in our word, in fact, for the world. One day his wife said to him, I just want to see my husband again and be with him. He answered, I am your husband. And she sweetly replied, Oh, good. (laughs) I cannot speak of giving care without acknowledging the special caregiver in my life. The Savior's special disciple to me, my eternal companion, Mary. She is given all in compassion, nurturing, and love. Her hands reflect her gentle, sustaining touch. I would not be here without her. And with her, I will be able to endure the end and be with her in eternal life. If you are suffering deeply with others or alone, I urge you to let the Savior be your caregiver. Learn of his ample arm. Accept his assurance. I will not leave you comfortless. I will comfort you, he promises. Brothers and sisters, if we have not fully done so yet, let us turn more towards forgiveness, kindness, and love. Let us renounce the war that often rages in the hearts of the natural man and proclaim Christ's caring love and peace. If ye have come to the knowledge of the glory and goodness of God and also the atonement which was prepared from the foundation of the world, you will not have a mind to injure one another, but to live peaceably, and you will not suffer your children that they transgressed the laws of God. 
and fight and quarrel one with another, but he will teach them to love one another and to serve one another. Just before the Savior's crucifixion, he taught his apostles, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. And if you love me, keep my commandments. I testify that the Savior's true posture toward us is the one possessed by Torvalson's outstretched arms of the Christus. He continues to stretch forth his hands. We follow him by loving and serving one another and keeping his commandments. I bear my special witness that he lives and loves us with a perfect love. This is his church. Thomas S. Monson is his prophet on the earth today, that we may love our Heavenly Father and his Son more and suffer less, is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In the struggles of mortality, we are never left alone to accomplish our work, to fight our battles, to face adversity or unanswered questions. Jesus Christ taught with the parable that men ought always to pray and not to faint. He told of a judge who did not honor God and did not have any regard for mankind. Every day a widow came before him pleading to be avenged of her adversary. For a while, the judge would offer her no relief. But as a result of her faithful, consistent pleading, the judge finally thought, Because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then Jesus explained, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. And then the Lord asks this question, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Prayer is essential to developing faith. When the Lord comes again, will he find a people who know how to pray in faith and who are prepared to receive salvation? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are children of a loving Heavenly Father, and we may enjoy personal communion with Him when we pray with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, and then act in accordance with the answers we receive by the promptings of the Holy Ghost. In faith we pray, we listen, and we obey, that we might learn to one day become one with the Father and the Son. 
A prayer of faith opens the way to receive glorious heaven-sent blessings. The Savior taught, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If we expect to receive, we must ask, seek, and knock. In his search for truth, Joseph Smith read in the scriptures, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. In his prayer of faith, the heavens were opened. God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ descended in glory and spoke to Joseph Smith, ushering in the dispensation of the fullness of times. For us, miraculous healing, powerful protection, divine knowledge, liberating forgiveness, and precious peace are among the answers that come when we offer up a soul's sincere desire. In faith, we pray to our Father in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Ghost, thus engaging all three members of the Godhead in our utterances. We pray to our Heavenly Father and Him only because He is God in heaven, who is infinite and eternal from everlasting to everlasting, the framer of heaven and earth and all things which are in them. As our Creator, He gave commandments that we should love and serve Him, the only living and true God, and that He should be the only being whom we worship. As you pray to Heavenly Father in faith, He will console you in your afflictions, and ye may feast upon His love. President Henry B. Irene shared that his father's prayers during a losing battle with cancer, taught him the deeply personal relationship between God and his children. Quote, when the pain became intense, we found him in the morning on his knees by the bed. He had been too weak to get back into bed. He told us he had been praying to ask his Heavenly Father why he had to suffer so much when he had always tried to be good. He said a kindly answer came, God needs brave sons. And so he soldiered on to the end, trusting that God loved him, listened to him, and would lift him up. He was blessed to have known early and to never forget that a loving God is as close as a prayer. End quote. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ because our salvation is in Christ and there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We come unto the Father in the sacred name of Jesus Christ because He is our advocate with the Father and He does plead our cause. He suffered, bled, and died to glorify His Father And his merciful petition on our behalf opens the way for each of us to obtain peace in this life and everlasting life in the world to come. 
He does not want us to suffer longer or endure more trials than needed. He does want us to turn to Him and allow Him to ease our burdens, to heal our hearts, and to cleanse our souls through His purifying power. We never want to take His name in vain with rote and repetitious words. Sincere prayers offered in the holy name of Jesus Christ are an expression of our devoted love, our eternal gratitude, and our steadfast desire to pray as He prayed, to do as He did, and to become as He is. We pray by the power of the Holy Ghost, because he that asketh in the Spirit asketh according to the will of God. When we pray with faith, the Holy Ghost can guide our thoughts so that our words harmonize with the will of God. Ask not that ye may consume it on your less, but ask with a firmness unshaken that ye will yield to no temptation, but that ye will serve the true and living God. It is not only important that we know how to pray, but it is equally important that we shall know how to receive the answer to our prayer, to be discerning, to be alert, to be able to see with clear vision and understand with clear intention God's will and purpose concerning us. President Irene shared, I have had prayers answered. Those answers were most clear when what I wanted was silenced by an overpowering need to know what God wanted. It is then that the answer from a loving Heavenly Father can be spoken to the mind by the still small voice and can be written on the heart. As the Savior entered the Garden of Gethsemane, His soul was exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. In agony, the only one he could turn to was his father. He pleaded, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But he added, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Though sinless, the Savior was called upon to suffer pains, afflictions, and temptations of every kind, including the sicknesses and infirmities of his people. He suffereth according to the flesh, that he might take upon him the sins of his people, that he might blot out their transgressions according to the power of his deliverance. Three times he prayed, Father, thy will be done. The cup was not removed. In humble, faithful prayer, he was strengthened to go forward and fulfill his divine mission to prepare for our salvation, that we might repent, believe, obey, and obtain the blessings of eternity. The answers we receive in prayer may not be what we would desire, but in times of trouble our prayers become a lifeline of love and tender mercy. In our pleading, we may be strengthened to go forward and fulfill all that we have been ordained to do. To His saints living in perilous times, the Lord says, Let your hearts be comforted, for all flesh is in mine hands. Be still and know that I am God. 
whether we pray privately with our families at church in the temple or wherever we are, whether we pray with broken hearts and contrite spirits seeking forgiveness, heavenly wisdom, or simply the strength to endure. We pray always with full hearts drawn out unto God continually for our welfare and the welfare of those around us. Sincere desires offered in a spirit of gratitude for abundant blessings and gratitude for the lessons of life instill in our hearts, steadfast faith in Christ, a brightness of hope, a love of God and of all men. Prayer is a gift from God. We need never feel lost or alone. I testify that every moment of precious prayer can be holy time spent with our Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Ghost. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. On a signal from the conductor, the congregation will stand and join the choir in singing Redeemer of Israel. After the singing, we will hear from Elder Craig C. Christensen of the Presidency of the Seventy. He will be followed by Elders Juan A. Huseda and J. Devin Cornish of the Seventy. Following their remarks, the choir will sing Take Time to Be Holy. This is the 186th Semi-Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You're listening to the 186th Semi-Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on KSL-FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City.
Brothers and sisters, when Moroni first came to Joseph Smith, he warned that Joseph's name would be had for good and evil among all nations. We have seen the fulfillment of that prophecy. In the war between good and evil, the restoration of the gospel through the prophet Joseph Smith has both inspired believers who follow him and also provoked antagonists who fight furiously against the cause of Zion and against Joseph himself. This battle is not new. It began soon after Joseph walked into the sacred grove and continues today with added visibility on the Internet. The Lord personally declared to Joseph Smith, quote, The ends of the earth shall inquire after thy name, and fools shall have thee in derision, and hell shall rage against thee, while the pure in heart and the wise and the noble and the virtuous shall seek counsel and authority and blessings constantly from under thy hand. End quote. Today I offer my testimony to all who seek to better understand the sacred mission of Joseph Smith, Jr., the prophet of the Restoration. We need not be timid about testifying of Joseph's mission as prophet, seer, and revelator, for the Lord has always worked through prophets. Because of the truths restored through Joseph Smith, we know much more about our Heavenly Father and the Savior, Jesus Christ. We know of their divine attributes, their relationship to each other and to us, and the great plan of redemption that allows us to return to their presence. Of Joseph, President Brigham Young declared, It was decreed in the councils of eternity, long before the foundations of the earth were laid, that he should be the man in the last dispensation of this world to bring forth the word of God to the people and receive the fullness of the keys and power of the priesthood of the Son of God. The Lord had his eye upon him, for he was foreordained in eternity to preside over this last dispensation. In preparing for this great work, Joseph Smith was born into a loving family who experienced many of the everyday burdens and trials of life. As Joseph matured, his feelings towards God were deep and often poignant. Yet he was confused by conflicting religious ideas taught by the preachers of his day. Fortunately, young Joseph did not let his questions paralyze his faith. He sought answers in the Bible and found this counsel. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Joseph recalled, Never did any passage, of, passage come with more power to the heart of man than this did at this time to mine. It seemed to enter with great force into every feeling of my heart. I reflected on it again and again. With simple faith, Joseph acted on these spiritual feelings. He found a secluded place, knelt down, and began to offer up the desires of his heart to God. There is great power in Joseph's description of what happened. I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description standing above me in the air. 
One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said to the other, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Joseph saw God, the Eternal Father, and the Redeemer of the world. This was Joseph's first vision. In the years that followed, Joseph translated the Book of Mormon by the gift and power of God. Numerous other heavenly beings visited him, restoring truths and authority that had been lost for centuries. These divine communications to Joseph Smith opened the windows of heaven and the glories of eternities to our view. Joseph's life stands as a testimony that if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask God in faith and receive answers, sometimes from heavenly beings, but more often by the power of the Holy Ghost, who speaks to us through inspired thoughts and feelings. It is through the Holy Ghost that we can know the truth of all things. For many of us, a witness of the Prophet Joseph begins as we read the Book of Mormon. I first read the Book of Mormon from cover to cover as a young early morning seminary student. With my vivid boyish imagination, I decided to read as if I were Joseph Smith, discovering the truths of the Book of Mormon for the very first time. It had such an impact on my life that I continue to read the Book of Mormon in that way. I often find that doing so deepens my appreciation for the Prophet Joseph and for their truths restored in this precious book. For example, imagine Joseph's feelings as he translated passages about baptism for the remission of sins. Joseph, who had been told not to join any of the existing churches, naturally had questions about this saving ordinance. His questions led him once again to pray, and that prayer led him led to a visit from John the Baptist, who restored the Aaronic priesthood and the authority to baptize. Or consider how Joseph might have felt when he learned for the first time that Jesus Christ visited the people in the Western Hemisphere, that he taught them, prayed for them, healed their sick, blessed their children, and conferred priesthood authority to them and administered the sacrament unto them. Joseph may not have realized it at the time, but what he learned about the ordinances and organization of Christ's ancient Church prepared him to later assist the Lord in restoring that same Church to the earth. During the translation of the Book of Mormon, Joseph and his wife Emma mourned the death of their infant son. In those days, preachers commonly taught that children who die without baptism would be condemned forever. With this in mind, imagine how Joseph must have felt as he translated these words from the Prophet Mormon. Little children need no repentance, neither baptism, for little children are alive in Christ, even from the foundation of the world. Perhaps the most stunning passage in the Book of Mormon to young Joseph may have been the third chapter of 2 Nephi. This chapter contains an ancient prophecy about a choice seer who the Lord would raise up in the latter days, a seer named Joseph, named after his father. This future prophet would be esteemed highly and do a work of great worth unto his people. He would be great like unto Moses and would be given power to bring forth God's word. Consider how Joseph must have felt as he realized that this prophecy 
was about him. He was not just translating history. He was translating a vision of the last days, of the miraculous restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Joseph himself would help fulfill it. Today, almost 200 years later, it's easy to see how this prophecy has been realized. We know about the great things that Joseph accomplished as the Lord's prophet. But remember that when Joseph translated this prophecy, he had done few of the things the prophets foretold. He was still a young man in his early 20s. The Church had not yet been organized. There were no wards or branches, no missionaries, and no temples. Hardly anyone had ever heard of Joseph Smith, and some of those who had actively opposed him. Now look at the great work that the Lord has wrought by the hand of his prophet Joseph, notwithstanding the opposition against him. Is not the fulfillment of this prophecy compelling evidence of the prophetic calling of Joseph Smith? To any who may be questioning their testimony of Joseph Smith or are struggling with erroneous, misleading, or superficial information about his life and ministry, I invite you to consider the fruits, the many blessings that have come to us through the miraculous mission of Joseph Smith, the prophet of the Restoration. Because Joseph was a prophet, revelations and prophets are no longer a thing of the past. The day of miracles, of visions, healings, and ministering of angels has not ceased. Because Joseph was a prophet, each of us has access to the power and blessings of the Holy Priesthood, including baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and the sacrament. Because Joseph was a prophet, we have blessings and ordinances of the temple that bind us to God, make us His people, and manifest to us the power of godliness, making it possible one day to see the face of God, even the Father, and live. Because Joseph was a prophet, we know that marriage and family are an essential part of God's plan for our happiness. We know that through temple ordinances and covenants, our cherished family relationships can endure eternally. Because Joseph was a prophet, we have more than a window into heaven. The very doorway to the eternities is open to us. We can know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. Eternal life can be ours. Most of all, because Joseph was a prophet, we have witness upon witness, testimony upon testimony, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We have an unbroken chain of special witnesses of Jesus Christ, including our prophet today, President Thomas S. Monson, the counselors in the First Presidency, and members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. To their witness, I add my humble yet certain testimony, Jesus Christ lives and leads His Church. Joseph Smith was and is the prophet of the Restoration. The priesthood and authority of God are again upon the earth. May we fearlessly declare our witness and our gratitude for this wonderful prophet, seer, and revelator of the Lord is my prayer in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
1977, I was serving as a full-time missionary in Cusco, Peru. My companion and I received approval to take all the missionaries in the Cusco zone to the magnificent Machu Picchu ruins. Towards the end of our visit to the ruins, some of the missionaries wanted to go to the Inca Bridge, part of a mountain trail. Immediately, I felt in my heart the Spirit constrained me not to go there. The trail was on the side of a mountain with a 2,000 feet drop-off. In several areas, the trail was only wide enough for one person to pass at a time. My companion and I told them that we should not go to the Inca Bridge. However, the missionaries insisted that we go. The pleadings became more intense, and despite what the Spirit had indicated to me, I gave in to the peer pressure and told them that we would visit the bridge, but only if we were very careful. We entered the trail that leads to the Inca Bridge with me at the end of the group, and at first, everyone walked slowly as agreed. Then, the missionaries started to walk very fast and even run. They ignored my petition to slow down. I felt obligated to catch up to them, to tell them that we had to turn back. I was far behind them, and I had to run fast to catch up with them. As I came around a turn in a passage too narrow for two to walk, I found the missionary standing still with his back against the rocks. I asked him why he was standing there. He told me he had received an impression to remain in that spot for a moment and that I should go on. I felt the urgency to catch up to those ahead of us, so he helped me to pass him, and I was able to get a little farther down the trail. I noticed that the ground was full of greenery. I planted my right foot on the ground, realizing as I fell that there was no ground underneath the greenery. I desperately grabbed onto some branches that were underneath the trail. For a moment, I could see down some 2,000 feet below me the Urubamba River that crosses the sacred valley of the Incas. I felt as if my strength had left me, and it was only a matter of time before I could not hold on anymore. In that moment, I prayed intensely. It was a very brief prayer. I opened my mouth and said, Father, help me. The branches were, too strong, were not strong enough to support my weight of my, the weight of my body. I knew the end was near. In the very moment where I was about to fall, I felt a firm hand take me by the arm and pull me up. With that help, I was able to continue fighting and get myself back on the trail. The missionary that stayed behind was the one that saved me. But in reality, our Father in Heaven saved me. He listened to my voice. I had heard the voice of the Spirit three times before, telling me not to go to the Inca Bridge, but I had not obeyed that voice. I was in shock. I was pale, and I did not know what to say. Then I remembered that the other missionaries were ahead of us, and so 
we went looking for them until we found them and told them that what had happened to me. We returned to Machu Picchu very carefully and in silence. On the return trip, I remained silent, and the idea came to my mind that he had paid attention to my voice, but that I did not pay any attention to his. There was a deep pain in my heart for disobeying his voice, and at the same time, a deep sense of gratitude for his mercy. He did not exercise his justice upon me, but in his great mercy, he saved my life. At the end of the day, when, I was, when it was time for my personal prayer, I prayed from the heart to the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. I pray with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ. In the early morning of that same day, I prayed with my lips. And when I was about to perish, I prayed from the heart to Him. I pondered my life to that point. I found that in many occasions, our Father in Heaven had been so merciful to me. He taught me many lessons that day in Machu Picchu and in Cusco, Peru. One of the greatest lessons was, was that I should always, always pray with a sincere heart, with real intent, exercising faith in Christ. On one occasion, the Lord Jesus Christ was praying in a certain place, and when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. Then he taught his disciples to pray, and today he teaches you and I to pray as we see him in our minds praying in Gethsemane and saying nevertheless not my will but thine be done when you pray do you really truly want that not my will but thine be done Paul describes how Jesus prayed in the days of his flesh especially in Gethsemane, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with a strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. When you pray, are you really praying or just saying prayers? Are you superficial with your prayers? Jesus prayed intensely and spoke with his father. It came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. When you pray, do you feel like the heaven is opened? When was the last time that you felt that connection with the heaven? Jesus prepared himself to make important decisions by praying to his father. He went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve. Do you prepare yourself to make important decisions by praying to your Heavenly Father? Do you prepare yourself for a moment of prayer? When Jesus came to the American continent, 
he taught the people to pray. And Jesus said unto them, Pray on. Nevertheless, they did not cease to pray. Jesus invites us to pray always. Jesus knows that our Heavenly Father hears and gives what is best for us. Why is it that sometimes we don't want to receive? Why? At the very moment we say, Father in heaven, He hears our prayers and is sensitive to us and our needs. And so His eyes and His ears are now connected to you. He reads our minds and He feels our hearts. You cannot hide anything from Him. Now, the wonderful thing is that He will see you with eyes of love and mercy. Love and mercy that we cannot fully understand. But love and mercy are with Him. The very moment you say, Father in heaven. So, a moment of prayer is a very, very sacred moment. He's not a man to say, No, I will not listen to you now because you only come to me when you're in trouble. Only men do that. He's not a man to say, Oh, you cannot imagine how busy I am now. Only men say that. That we all may pray as Jesus has taught us to pray is my hope and my prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear sisters and brothers, what a blessing it is for us together to be taught by the Lord's servants. Isn't it wonderful how many ways our loving Heavenly Father guides and blesses us? He really wants us to come home. Through a series of tender mercies as a young doctor coming out of medical school, I was accepted for pediatric residency training in a high-powered competitive program. When I met the other interns, I felt like the least intelligent and least prepared of all. I thought there was no way I could measure up to the rest of the group. Early in our third month, I was sitting in the nurse's station in the hospital late one night, alternately sobbing to myself and falling asleep, as I tried to write the admission orders for a small boy with pneumonia. I had never felt so discouraged in my life. I didn't have any idea how to treat pneumonia in a ten-year-old. I began to wonder what I was doing there. Just at that moment, one of the senior residents put his hand on my shoulder. He asked me how I was doing, and I poured out my frustrations and fears. His response changed my life. He told me how proud he and all of the other senior residents were of me, and how they felt like I was going to be an excellent doctor. In short, he believed in me at a time when I didn't even believe in myself. Like my own experience, we often hear our members ask, Am I good enough as a person? Or, Will I really make it to the celestial kingdom? Of course, there is no such thing as being good enough. None of us could ever earn or deserve our salvation. 
But it is normal to wonder if we are acceptable before the Lord, which is how I understand these questions. Sometimes when we attend church, we become discouraged even by sincere invitations to improve ourselves. We think silently, I can't do all these things, or I will never be as good as all these people. Perhaps we feel much the same as I did in the hospital that night. Please, my beloved brothers and sisters, we must stop comparing ourselves to others. We torture ourselves needlessly by competing and comparing. We falsely judge our self-worth by the things we do or don't have and by the opinions of others. If we must compare, let us compare how we were in the past to how we are today, or even to how we want to be in the future. The only opinion of us that matters is what our Heavenly Father thinks of us. Please, sincerely ask Him what He thinks of you. He will love and correct, but never discourage us. That is Satan's trick. Let me be direct and clear. The answers to the questions, am I good enough and will I make it, are yes, you are going to be good enough, and yes, you are going to make it. As long as you keep repenting and don't rationalize or rebel. The God of heaven is not a heartless referee looking for any excuse to throw us out of the game. He is our perfectly loving Father who yearns more than anything else to have all of His children come back home and live with Him as families forever. He truly gave His only begotten Son that we might not perish but have everlasting life. Please believe and please take hope and comfort from this eternal truth. Our Heavenly Father intends for us to make it. That is His work and His glory. I love the way that President Gordon B. Hinckley used to teach this principle. I heard him say on several occasions, Brothers and sisters, all the Lord expects of us is to try, but you have to really try. Really trying means doing the best we can, recognizing where we need to improve, and then trying again by repeatedly doing this, we come closer and closer to the Lord. We feel His Spirit more and more and we receive more of His grace or help. I sometimes think we don't recognize how very much the Lord wants to help us. I love the words of Elder David A. Bednar who said, Most of us clearly understand that the Atonement is for sinners. I am not so sure, however, that we know and understand that the Atonement is also for saints. The Atonement provides help for us to overcome and avoid bad and to do and become good. It is through the grace of the Lord that individuals receive strength and assistance to do good works that they otherwise would not be able to do. This grace is an enabling power or heavenly help each of us desperately needs to qualify for the celestial kingdom. End of quote. All we have to do to receive this heavenly help is to ask for it and then to act on the righteous promptings we receive. The great news is that if we sincerely repented, our former sins will not keep us from being exalted. Moroni tells us of the transgressors in his day, but as oft as they repented and sought forgiveness with real intent, they were forgiven. And the Lord himself said of the sinner, If he confess his sins before thee and me, and repenteth in the sincerity of his heart, him shall ye forgive, and I will forgive him also. 
Yea, and as often as my people repent, will I forgive them their trespasses against me. If we will sincerely repent, God really will forgive us, even when we have committed the same sin over and over again. As Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, However many chances you think you have missed, however many mistakes you feel you have made, I testify that you have not traveled beyond the reach of divine love. It is not possible for you to sink lower than the infinite light of Christ's atonement shines. End of quote. This does not mean in any way that sin is okay. Sin always has consequences. Sin always harms and hurts both the sinner and those affected by his sins. And true repentance is never easy. Moreover, please understand that even though God takes away the guilt and stain of our sins when we sincerely repent, he may not immediately take away all of the consequences of our sins. Sometimes they remain with us for the rest of our lives. And the worst kind of sin is premeditated sin, where one says, I can sin now and repent later. I believe that this is a solemn mockery of the sacrifice and sufferings of Jesus Christ. The Lord himself declared, For I, the Lord, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. And Alma proclaimed, Behold, I say unto you, wickedness never was happiness. One of the reasons that Alma's statement is particularly true is that with repeated sinning, we distance ourselves from the Spirit, become discouraged, and then stop repenting. But I repeat, because of the Savior's atonement, we can repent and be fully forgiven as soon as our repentance is sincere. What we cannot do is rationalize rather than repent. It will not work to justify ourselves and our sins by saying, God knows it's just too hard for me, so he accepts me like I am. Really trying means we keep at it as we fully come up to the Lord's standard, which is clearly defined in the questions we are asked in order to get a temple recommend. The other thing that will surely keep us out of heaven and separate us from the help we need now is rebellion. From the book of Moses we learn that Satan was cast out of heaven for rebellion. We are in rebellion any time we say in our hearts, I don't need God and I don't have to repent. As an intensive care pediatrician, I know that if one inappropriately rejects life-saving treatment, it can lead needlessly to physical death. Similarly, when we rebel against God, we reject our only help and hope, who is Jesus Christ, which leads to spiritual death. None of us can do this on our own power. None of us will ever be good enough, save through the merits and mercy of Jesus Christ. Because God respects our agency, we also cannot be saved without our trying. That is how the balance between grace and works works. We can have hope in Christ because he wants to help and change us. In fact, he is already helping you. Just pause and reflect and recognize his help in your life. I witness to you that if you will really try and will not rationalize or rebel, repenting often and pleading for the grace or help of Christ, you positively are going to be good enough. That is acceptable before the Lord. You are going to make it to the celestial kingdom, being perfect in Christ. And you are going to receive the blessings and glory and joy that God desires for each of his precious children, including specifically you and me. I testify that God lives and wants us to come home. I testify that Jesus lives. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, 
Amen. We express gratitude to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir 
for the beautiful music they have provided this morning. Our concluding speaker for this session will be Elder Neil L. Anderson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Following his remarks, the choir will close this meeting by singing, If the way be full of trial, weary not. The benediction will then be offered by Elder Marcus B. Nash of the Seventy. Much of the important work of God is unseen in the eyes of the world. The sixth century before Christ brought illustrious thinkers such as Confucius in China and Buddha in eastern India. But the power of God's priesthood was upon Daniel, the prophet living in captivity during the reign of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Troubled by a dream in the night, King Nebuchadnezzar demanded that his magicians and sorcerers tell him both what he had dreamed and the interpretation of the dream. Of course, they could not tell the king what he had dreamed, and they protested, There is not a man upon the earth that can do this, nor any king that would ask such things. King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with the failure and angrily declared that all his counselors would be slain. Daniel, one of the king's wise men, prayed for the mercies of God concerning the secret. A miracle occurred. The secret of what the king had dreamed was revealed to Daniel. Daniel was taken before the king. Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel responded, The wise men, the astrologers, the magicians cannot tell you what you dreamed, but there is a God in heaven that can reveal these things, and he maketh known to King Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. The God of heaven, Daniel said, shall set up a kingdom, a stone cut out without hands, that will become a great mountain and fill the whole earth, never to be destroyed, but to stand forever. The dream, said Daniel, is certain, and the interpretation, sure. With his dream explained and interpreted, the king spoke boldly, Your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings. From the miraculous intervention of God to Daniel, came the prophesied future of the gospel of Jesus Christ being restored to the earth, a kingdom that would fill the whole earth, never to be destroyed, but to stand forever. The number of members of the Church in the latter days would be relatively few, as Nephi prophesied, but they would be upon all the face of the earth, and the power and ordinances of the priesthood would be available to all who desired it, filling the earth, as Daniel foretold. In 1831, the Prophet Joseph Smith received this revelation. The keys of the kingdom of God and the gathering of Israel from the four parts of the earth are committed unto man on the earth, and from thence 
shall the gospel roll forth unto the ends of the earth, as the stone which is cut out of the mountain without hand shall roll forth until it has filled the whole earth. The gathering of Israel is a miracle. It is like an enormous puzzle whose pieces will be set in place prior to the glorious events of the second coming. Just as we might be perplexed with a mountain of puzzle pieces, the early saints must have seen the commission to take the restored gospel to all the world as a nearly impossible task. But they began, one person, one puzzle piece at a time, finding the straight edges, working to rightly frame this divine work. Little by little, the stone cut without hands began to roll forth from hundreds to thousands to tens of thousands, and now millions of covenant Latter-day Saints across every nation are connecting the puzzle pieces of this marvelous work and a wonder. Each of us is a piece of the puzzle, and each of us helps to set in place other essential pieces. You are an important part of this great cause. Our view ahead is now clear. We can see the miracle continuing and the Lord's hand guiding us as we complete the gaps that remain. Then the great Jehovah shall say, The work is done, and he will return in majesty and glory. President Thomas S. Monson has said, Now is the time for members and missionaries to come together, to work together, to bring souls unto him. He will assist us in our labors if we will act in faith to fulfill his work. The divinely appointed responsibility that once rested primarily upon the shoulders of full-time missionaries now rests upon us all. We all want to share the restored gospel, and gratefully, thousands are baptized each week. But even with this wonderful blessing, our concern for our brothers and sisters and our desire to please God bring a compelling urgency to share and strengthen the kingdom of God across the world. Even with a strong desire to share the gospel, you may be less than happy with the success of your past efforts. You may feel like a friend who said to me, I have talked to our family and friends about the Church, but few have shown any interest, and with each rejection, I have become more hesitant. I know I should do more, but I am stuck, and all I feel is enormous guilt. Let me see if I can help. Guilt has an important role as it awakens us to changes we need to make. But there are limits to how far guilt will help us. Guilt is like a battery in a gasoline-powered car. It can light up the car, start the engine, and power the headlights, but it will not provide the fuel for the long journey ahead. The battery by itself is not sufficient.
and neither is guilt. I suggest that you stop feeling guilty about any insufficiency you think you have in sharing the gospel. Rather, pray like Alma taught, for opportunities to stand as a witness of God at all times and in all things and in all places, that others may be redeemed of God and be numbered with those of the first resurrection and have eternal life. This is a much stronger motivation than guilt. To be a witness of God at all times and in all places reflects both how we live and how we speak. Be open about your faith in Christ. When the occasion presents itself, speak of His life, His teachings, and His incomparable gift to all mankind. As President Uchtdorf said a few moments ago, share the great plan of happiness as found within the Book of Mormon. He has given us this promise. Whosoever shall confess me before men, him I will confess before my Father in heaven. I promise you that as you pray often and sincerely for opportunities to stand as a witness of God, those opportunities will come, and those who seek more light and knowledge will be put before you. As you respond to spiritual promptings, the Holy Ghost will carry your words to the heart of another. And one day, the Savior will confess you before His Father. The spiritual work of helping someone come into the kingdom of God is a group effort. Enlist the missionaries as soon as you can and pray for heavenly help. But remember, the timing of another's conversion is not fully up to you. Kamla Persson was from the Mauritius Island attending medical school in Bordeaux, France, when we met her in February 1991. We had prayed as a family to be able to share the gospel with someone who was seeking the truth, and we taught her in our home. I was privileged to perform her baptism, but we were not the most significant influences in Kamla joining the Church. Friends, missionaries, and even family members had been witnesses of God in her home country. And one day in France, when the time was right for Kamla, she made the decision to be baptized. Now, 25 years later, the blessings of that decision are all around her, and her son is a missionary in Madagascar. Please don't see your efforts to share the love of the Savior with another as a pass-fail test. With your grade determined by how your friends respond to your feelings or invitation to meet the missionaries, with our mortal eyes we cannot judge the effect of our efforts, nor can we establish the timetable. When you share the love of the Savior with another, as Elder Hales taught us, your grade is always an A+. Some governments have restricted the work of missionaries, leading our noble members 
to show even greater courage in being witnesses of God at all times and in all places. Nadejda from Moscow often puts the Book of Mormon in a gift box with lots of candy packed around it. I tell them, she said, that it is the sweetest gift I could possibly give them. Shortly after being baptized in Ukraine, Svetlana had the impression to share the gospel with a man she frequently saw on the bus. When the man got off at his stop, she asked, Would you like to know more about God? The man said, Yes. Missionaries taught Victor, and he was baptized. He and Svetlana were later sealed in the Freiburg, Germany temple. (laughs) Be careful. (laughs) Your blessings may come in unexpected ways. Seven years ago, Kathy and I met Diego Gomez and his beautiful family in Salt Lake City. They attended a temple open house with us, but graciously declined our invitation to learn more about the Church. This past May, I received a surprising telephone call from Diego. Events in his life had led him to his knees. He had found the missionaries on his own, taken the discussions, and was ready for baptism. On this past June 11th, I walked into the waters of baptism with my friend and fellow disciple Diego Gomez. His conversion had its own timetable and came with the help and support of many who reached out to him as witnesses of God. To our amazing youth and young adults across the world, I give a special invitation and challenge to be witnesses of God. Those who surround you are open to spiritual inquiry. Remember the puzzle? You do not come to the table with empty hands, but with technology and social media at your command. We need you. The Lord needs you to be even more engaged in this great cause. The Savior said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It is not by chance that you live in Africa, Asia, Europe, North, Central, or South America, the Pacific, or another place in God's world, because the gospel must go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. The God of heaven has set up a kingdom, a stone cut out without hands, that has become a great mountain and is filling the whole earth, never to be destroyed, but to stand forever. The dream is certain and the interpretation sure. I close with the words from the Doctrine and Covenants. Call upon the Lord that his kingdom may go forth upon the earth, that the inhabitants thereof may receive it, and be prepared for the days to come 
when the Son of Man shall come down from heaven, clothed in the brightness of his glory, to meet the kingdom of God on the earth. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
Our Father in heaven, we are profoundly grateful for the great blessing it is for us to be here and to listen to this session of conference. We thank thee for the doctrine that has been taught, for the principles. They are delicious to our souls and provide nourishment. We are grateful for the opportunity that we have to have invitations extended. We pray that that will bless us, that we may apply them, accept these invitations, and live the principles and this glorious, wondrous doctrine in our lives, so that the Holy Ghost may guide us in wisdom's paths, that we may be blessed, prospered, and preserved even in these stormy times. We so pray with love and gratitude and great hope and faith in Thee and Thy Son, and do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a broadcast of the 186th Semi-Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Speakers were selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music was provided by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. This broadcast has been furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. You're listening to the 186th Semiannual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on KSL-FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City, 